Hi, this is Welcome to Self, caring for the human in the therapist chair. And I'm your host, Dr. Haley D. Quinn, fellow human, clinical psychologist, supervisor and trainer. Welcome to Self is a place where you can come and learn ways to elevate your own care and compassion. A place to rest, be soothed, and at times maybe gently challenged to think about yourself and your practice. A place to remember that you are human first and choose the helping profession as just one of the roles in your life. My aim is that this is a place of soothing, comfort, nourishment, growth and nurture. A place where you can also welcome yourself. Welcome to another episode. I'd like to take a moment to thank Maggie for her beautiful feedback on Facebook. Here's what Maggie said. I listened to your podcast here in the UK at 4.30 in the morning when I woke up and couldn't get back to sleep. What a beautiful poem wrote by Amy and you read it so respectfully Hayley. Your consistent wisdom of reflecting ways to rest and digest, taking care of ourselves through slowing down, noticing and asking ourselves, what do I need, are always so helpful. I'm going to give the pyjamas day a go for sure. The meditation was so soothing. I was resting well and soon went back to sleep for another hour. Appreciation as always for your time in creating and sharing these podcasts. Thank you so much, Maggie, for your lovely feedback. It really is appreciated. I hope you're sleeping better and I'd love to hear about your pyjamas on purpose day. Maggie was referring to episode 9 where I talk about building a compassionate practice and take listeners through a guided meditation. If you find the meditation helpful, there are more available for purchase on my website. I'm excited to introduce my next guest, Deirdre Fay, MSW. I met Deirdre in New York at the first annual Compassionate Mind Retreat and Summit hosted by Dr. Dennis Tersh and Dr. Laura Silberstein Tersh. I learned from Deirdre and also had the pleasure of spending time together. I even managed to take her in the wrong direction on a car trip we took. She was very gracious about that. Deirdre is a thought leader with 35 years of experience exploring the intersection of trauma, attachment, yoga and meditation to point out a radically positive approach to healing trauma. Her quest is using trauma as a modern day bodhisattva training to transform suffering into compassion where healing is not an accident by the sure result of consistent and persistent practice to develop a solid, steady, secure self. Her third book, Becoming Selfly Embodied, became a bestseller before it was published. As well as being an accomplished practitioner, trainer and writer, Deirdre is an absolutely beautiful human being and it is my pleasure to call her my friend and welcome her onto the podcast. So hi Deirdre, it's such a pleasure to have you on Welcome to Self, Caring for the Human in the Therapist Chair. I'm really thrilled about chatting with you tonight, or this morning for you over in France. Always glad talking to you, Haley. Oh, that's really lovely, thank you. Be nice when we can catch up again in person, hey? So to start with, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to a career in the helping professions? Gosh, you know, just wanting to work with myself. I think there was really a clear path for me that I felt like I wanted to change and grow and develop, wanted to heal. And I wanted, I remember there was one moment, I was living in an ashram at the time, and I remember thinking, this is so hard. If I'm going to do all this work, I'm not going to just do it for myself. I'm going to figure out 
how to make it easier for other people. And that was, I remember exactly where I was in the hallway when I had that thought. And I was in a conversation with somebody. It was like, no, this is just not, it's too hard. Mm-hmm. So how do we make it easier? And I'm going to use my life for that. Perfect. Wow, and that was, yeah, because being human is hard, hey? Being human is hard. It is hard. And I work specifically, or have mostly worked with trauma and attachment wounding. And I know very well that impulse to, I want to get better. Mm. My therapist at the time asked her, I said, well, how, how long is this going to take? I want it to be done. You know, in good therapist fashion, she said, well, how long do you think it'll take? Just skipped one beat, and I said, well, I'm an Aries. I got, I got strong. Well, I can make this happen. Let's say six months. <laughs> you know, then uh, multiple six months, multiple Six years in there. I don't know. It's been 30 years, 25 years, something, almost 40. I can't even count anymore. And uh, it takes a long time. And somewhere along the way, I realized this is not, it's not about getting somewhere. This is the process. What I love about compassion focused therapy and learning about compassion and all the ancient wisdom traditions, we're meant use this life to grow and develop and transform you know and there's a in the ancient wisdom tradition there's an idea that bodhisattva somebody who deliberately chooses to transform their suffering into compassion where i thought healing trauma really is it's a modern day training if we want to take it on that way and if we do and it's not like life gets easier but certainly What's the word? It gets, um, we see ourselves transforming. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, I think I think that's beautiful that, that piece around if I'm going to do all this work, if I'm going to learn this and I'm going to upskill for myself, why would I just keep it for myself? And wanting to share that with other people. But then also this realization that this isn't something we kind of go for so many sessions and then we've done it. Because I think we grow. We don't wish we? it were true, isn't it? It's like I'll just have ten, thanks, and then I'm done. But it's that thing of you know, as we go through different changes in life, different things show up for us, and as we age, different things show up for us. So it, it is a process. It's not a have I got there yet, um, but a process of that. That's beautiful. And how do we create? And I know this is your way of being too, Haley. How do we create an environment? supportive encouragement that we like you said it's not just 10 sessions and we're done like this is this is the path exactly is the path and we might dip into therapy we might dip into coaching we might dip into other we might do things for extended periods of time but the whole idea is to use our life yeah become not to stay stagnant yeah i love that so you've been learning and teaching and writing about trauma and yoga, spirituality and compassion for a long time. What have you found most personally helpful about it? Probably this idea of a modern day bodhisattva training. It inspires me. It keeps me going, you know, because we all fall into the dumps. And I certainly have been there many times. It helps me to realize, oh, this is a transformational process. It's not, not stuck. Just yeah. because I'm stuck. Um, so I've been looking a lot at well, the healing cycle of life, which is if we allow things rise, crest, and fall inside of us, things move. Every thought, every feeling, every body sensation, every life experience will change. But then as I looked more deeply at it, I realized the, the transformational process is an inverse like Joseph Campbell said, we descend into the poop of life and we feel stuck and we feel trapped and we feel like there's no way out. If we relax into it, actually breathe and use all the practices we've been teaching, something opens up, a new way opens up. I was listening to the bird this morning 
I was just waking up and they were just like tweeting away. And I thought, what are you teaching me right now? What are you telling me? But just about slowing down. And the more I slow down, the happier I am. But that's so, mm. I'm such a strong personality. I can keep moving. But I slow down. There's like a doorway or a window that opens that may be small as I breathe into it. And that allows me to flow in a different way. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, I think I think that's been for me one of the biggest learnings is the slowing. And when we slow, we can access wisdom that we just don't hear when we're busy and we're in drive a lot. I love that, just listening and asking the boat, you know, what are they trying to teach me right now? I think it's those moments, isn't it? That if we take them, we can learn different things. We can connect to parts of ourselves that we really don't pay attention to in our everyday life or cannot pay attention to in our everyday life. Really true. And I, you know, part of what I love about what you're doing, Haley, is that it is about slowing down. It is about quieting. And what is self-care? What is it like to take care of ourselves first? And right now I'm just reading a lot of research about how burnt out therapists are. Everybody's practice is booming and they're overwhelmed. It's like, what do we need? What do we need right now? How do we slow down enough to get nourishment, even if it's a drip, even if it's a drop right now, so that we can carry that forward? And that's the thing. I like that, that sort of image of just a drop. And I'll often talk with supervisees around, you don't need to wait for the end of the day to try and make space to take care of yourself. It could be three breaths before your client walks into the room. It could be a hand on heart and asking yourself, what do I need in this moment? And then listening to what that is. Because I think that otherwise can become this thing of like, oh, self-care, that's something else to put on the to-do list. I haven't got time. I'm too busy. I'm already exhausted. Right, right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And yet we need it so much. Yeah. How can we bring them in as, as drops, like a little drip? Right. Like being on a drip. I can have my self-care drip with me <laughs> during the day. <laughs> and what would that but look like? Then. I lived for a while in the deserts of New Mexico and Santa Fe and oh, wow. to zero, zero skiing. So so that there's not, you don't know, abuse the water. And so there are these little, you know, I don't know, pup, you call them hoses. And the hoses just drip out a little water. And it's like that. It's not like a little big gush. It's like I just saturate my system with that over time. Yeah, absolutely. So that it's, it's, it's constant and regular. And we're not mm-hmm. feeling like we need to make large amounts of space and time for it because I think that's where a lot of people like you say practices are extremely busy um practitioners are feeling overwhelmed by the amount of work that the thought of having to set aside chunks of time is is too difficult yeah so what's what's been your own journey of self-care what's that looked like and what strategies that you teach your clients and students have you found most helpful a great question um i think that one of the main things was i had to leave i never really knew how much place mattered I lived in Boston and where I was for 20 some odd years and it was a powerful learning experience but it was very strong drive a very strong drive environment and I don't know if it's unbeknownst to me or it hit my pattern it aligned with an old pattern I have of trying hard and working hard and and it's something in me, my heart, I don't know what else to call it, something in me wanted something different. Yeah. And um, my husband, who's also my partner in my business, 
also wanted more balance. And I was like, I don't know how to have that. You know, it's like, I didn't know how to not do this old pattern. Yeah. And so and I, there's nothing clear about why we left or where we ended up in the South of France, but the different pace here, the different sense of balance and life is, is very different than I, than I was used to in Boston. And that helped a lot. Just being in a different environment allowed my system to calm. And then what, you know, because I work with people at different spectrums of the healing cycle, Wow, so much about learning to breathe and slow down. That's what people say all the time in my courses that they get how to slow down in a way. The real practical bits of mindfulness. Somebody just told me about something I had written. But this is the most concrete example of mindfulness she's ever seen. And she said she edited a book on mindfulness. And I was like, so what, so what is it that happens? I also know that there's creating an environment of safety yeah. is really important that people can lower their protective garments so that they can be more connected to their own inner wisdom because that's really what I'm interested in. Yeah. And that's what guides us. You know, not that I or you have the answer, but that we open up a space for people to know what's right for them. Absolutely, like helping people find that that inner voice. And again, for me, it's that slowing down. It, it's almost like my experience of it, when I slow down, it's like turning down the noise volume. And yeah. then that, that wisdom kind of shows up. But I'm curious, you sort of said, you know, there was part of you knew there had to be a change. And certainly my experience of living with chronic illness and knowing I needed to make changes, that that wisdom would be there, like knocking gently on the door. And I'd be like, I can't hear you. And then it would keep knocking. A I'm little not bit sure more. I want to hear you. I don't want to hear you. And then it would keep knocking a bit louder. And it's like, okay, well, if I don't kind of listen to this now, I'm going to be in all sorts of trouble. I'm curious if that was the same for you when you started to notice that. You kind of have this you wisdom. Know, actually, that we... You're right about that. And I, I, I say to people and remind myself that I go into every transformational cycle kicking and screaming. Like my first reaction is not to be like, oh, bless you, I'm ready. No, I'm like, <laughs> I don't want this. I don't want to change. I don't like this. And yet somewhere in there, I begin to listen more or hear. I'm not sure what it is, the pushing. And I think I'm grateful for, you know, I lived for years in a yoga ashram and did a lot of meditation over the last, you know, since I was in my 20s. And I'm so glad that I have that daily practice of letting go, yeah. of surrendering, of trusting that there's something more that wants to occur. Because when I think back about the cycles of transformation I've been in, I don't think I would have done, trusted anything except that, uh, okay, this is falling apart. Something will emerge, trusting that life always emerges. And there, I remember reading in National Geographic, I was probably a teenager at the time, but the big, this is when Yellowstone's fires were going. And they, when it first started years ago, people, the scientists were saying, let it burn. And there was like uproar, people, you can't let it burn, you can't let it burn. But what they began to see over time is that the burning and allowed new growth to come. Yeah. Always stayed with me. It was so amazing. I was like, that's what's possible in nature. If I let myself be burned to death, yeah. something emerges. I'm not going to die. You know, we're yeah. all afraid we're going to die. Yeah. We're going to end up bag ladies and something bad will happen. But it's like, okay. And I'm thinking about it even now because I'm going to have hip replacement surgery. I, I thought, well, you know, they're going to take this stuff out of my these bone. They're going to take my bones. They're going to, what are they going to do? So I talked to the surgeon and I said, you know, I, I, I want you to give me the, my bones. And he, he's a young guy, but he put his hands on the desk and he said, 
what do you want me to do with that? I said, well, put it in a plastic bag and give it to me. I didn't want it to just be thrown away. And we went through this thing. They can't do that and all kinds of reasons. But I thought, okay, so they give me the physical thing. How do I spend time now being grateful for this hip that has taken me hiking in the Himalayas and bicycling and, you know, being active and running and all the things I did? I want to just be grateful now. So that there can be space in my body for this new thing to come forth. And yeah, so it's going to be physically thrown away. But I thought, okay, but I don't have to psychologically throw it away. I can be a lot more gracious and grateful for what had been there. Yeah. And I can only imagine that that gives you such a different outlook on your upcoming surgery as well. With that I'm hoping so. Oh, I don't really know what it's going to be, you know, I'm, but I feel like I'm psychologically and emotionally prepping myself. For. Yeah. It's, it's almost rather than that sort of fear response that so easily shows up for us all. Um, it's a very different way to look at things, isn't it? With this air of gratitude and grace. I remember when I worked uh with Bessel Vanderkoek at the trauma center. I was a supervisor there. One of the things he talked about that now that I'm having surgery, I'm remembering it, is how people would remember when they were, you know, under anesthesia, they would, they would actually, their consciousness would take it and be imprinted by what was going on. And so how do I do, how do I, imprint now that that's going to be a healing experience or shadowing it so that when it happens i'm you know if if because apparently you know some of the researchers that are the surgeons i mean he's doing five surgeries that day mine is going to take an hour and it's very mechanical and kind of dry I'm sure they're going to be talking about what they're doing or did on the weekend. He's just going to be back from vacation. They're going to be chatting about all this stuff. And I'm going to be like, I want it to be a sacred moment. So if I can't have them make it sacred, yeah. you know, how do I create sacredness inside myself so that uh, my body gets cut open, but I'm not getting cut open. Yeah. But we'll see. This is all the prep work I'm doing. Yeah, it's all that that sort of essence of care for self, though, isn't it? How can I care for myself in this process? Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. I, I really, really love your attitude to life. I really do. I, I remember meeting you in America and um, having that opportunity to just hang with you and spend time and it's it's been really lovely resonated so much and we're on the same vibe there really right and I think it's really important you know you said before whenever a transformation comes you go into it kicking and screaming like I don't want this I don't want change because let's face it as humans we don't like that do we? we don't like uncertainty we like things to be how they are but I think it's really important for the listeners to hear this stuff that we we do kick and scream with this stuff. It's not easy. Um, you know, being human is not easy. And having that that trust, like you say, trusting that something else is coming. And having that ability to you know, Haley, I think go. about it like even with climate change, it can yeah. scare with the political environment that's some people live in horrible you know what about Haiti or Lebanon or Liberia you know what is going on in the world how do I trust you know that like the Yellowstone fires now granted I'm not in it so what can I do to support others as Paul Gilbert often says how how can life motivate us toward compassion yeah you know versus you know, being stuck in my own small world, but, um, you know, for me, it comes down to how, and I think for you too, it's like, how do we use our lives to help other people? 
what do you find are your biggest challenges, if you're happy to share those, that you face in taking care of yourself as a practitioner and, and generally as a human being? I think it's, um, it's the biggest challenge is being human and not wanting to change. <laughs> <laughs> challenge number one. Easy. I don't, I'm tired. You know, it's like, oh, I'm in the same spot. That's the, my biggest challenge is overcoming my own fears, blocks, and resistances. And it's been very helpful for me with my Sufi teachers that say, you know, let life roll around you instead of hitting the butt against the blocks. Yeah. And so, you know, in CFT, we look more at the fears, blocks, and resistances. But from the ancient wisdom traditions, we look like, how can I be softer and take it easier so that I don't, I can flow more with it, sort of being crushed by the fear, blocks, and resistance. So that, that's been my own personal practice. I'm working with people is, okay, there's this big problem how can i slow it down soften it make it more granular get to know what my thoughts are my feelings are my body sensation work in my body slow my body down so that the threat's response isn't there so that i can move more gently through the world but it's a challenge yeah and and yeah I love that. My biggest challenge is being human. <laughs> it's like, okay, we need to work with that then. <laughs> and I think right. that's the thing, the, the stuff I love around the CFT stuff is the, you know, understanding our humanness, understanding the tricky mind, understanding the fears, blocks and resistances and going, yeah, well, maybe our biggest challenge is being human and we have to work with the fact that we're human. So how can we do that with grace and ease and care? And um, again, bringing it back to that slowing down, I'm totally a proponent for that. So you you have done a lot of work. Um, I recently read your lovely book, Becoming Safely Embodied. I have to say it was a really gentle read as well. That's probably one of the things I liked most about it. It was full of really great information, but it was just such a gentle read, which made, made me want to just keep picking it up. So I was like, well, yes, I can engage with this. This is more learning. Um, I don't necessarily see it as work, but it's that sense of, you know, I'm not reading a novel or watching a movie, but I'll happily pick it up because it's a gentle read. So thank you for the way you wrote it. I thought that was really lovely. Um, can you tell I us a bit lot. more? I just heard that last night in that consultation group. And, uh, and I thought, oh, isn't that nice, you know? But it's kind and gentle. It's, yeah. uh, well, and maybe that's just because we teach what we need to know the most. Yeah. Maybe. Because there is so much learning as helping professionals and, you know, books to be read or courses mm-hmm. to do. And I think when they are a light touch like that, it just makes it so much easier and more enjoyable. Um, so well done on that. But could you tell us a bit more about your safely embodied work? And how we might use that as practitioners for ourselves, particularly during challenging times in our work. I think a lot of the time we learn all this to use with our clients. But I always like to try and get practitioners to think about, well, how can you actually use this for yourself when you're in session as the human being in the chair? I love that. Well, what we've done a lot of research on our list, which is about 50,000 people. And what we find is that the People who are connected and use our work, they fall into three categories. Either they're clients themselves or they're working for their own. They're therapists who want to learn it from their head. Then they're people who want to do their own work so that they can help other people. And the greatest majority, I think with 68, 72% of our population are people who actually want to heal themselves so that they can be uh, more supportive of other people like you, like me. And so the BSD skills literally came out of my own healing journey. That's And I, my trauma history came up when I was held in this safe cocoon of a yoga ashram. And it was totally unexpected. I had been, I would say, probably dissociated numb and blank before. I remember... Looking, I was working out at the at the gym we had there, 
And I looked in the mirror and I thought, me. Like this clear moment of really this body here was that that I don't think I ever knew that. Like if people said, Well, what was going on? I said, I had no idea. I didn't know who was in there. I didn't know what I thought, felt, wanted to do. If I was out on a date and somebody said, What do you want for dinner? I wouldn't know. Yeah. You know, I had so discounted myself. And yet at the same time, I was very capable of sitting for hours meditating. I, we did multiple retreats, uh, long-term retreats, and um, both in the ashram and I would do on my own in uh, different meditation groups. And, you know, it was like, oh, God, it's all when everything opened up, I thought, what do I do? You know, if the ancient wisdom traditions, if yoga says we are all one and the body is a temple of the soul, how do I even get back to a little piece of that? And I didn't know. And so that was my work of looking at, well, what do I do when I meditate? What do I do? You know, I, I went from being so active. We did multiple hours of yoga a day and meditation. I was training for triathlons. My trauma opened up just wanting to stay in bed and hide and teaching for large groups of people. Every other week I was teaching on my schedule to 150, 200 people. And I was like, I couldn't do it anymore. And I thought, what happened here? Yeah. And how do I put myself back together? So the becoming safe in body skills were they were just when I started working with Bethel asked me to start leading a group. And I was like, okay, what do I do? And I thought, well, I'll do what has worked for me. And then I took the groups out and into my own private practice. It was literally like trying out, this is what happens. This is what happens. And I remember when I was doing my training, I had just left the ashram. Remember, it was maybe a year afterwards or something, and I was at a training hospital. Somebody had been to one of my programs and uh, invited me to teach at the, on the dissociative unit, the inpatient unit. So I started doing, like, what could I do? What could I do with these people? And realizing, like, what was normal for me was way out of their range. Yeah. So then it was like, how do I keep breaking it down into smaller and smaller bits so that somebody can take that next step without it being effortful or without bringing up the fears, blocks, and resistance? So that's where I learned really like, how do you take a concept and make it so small and easy that it's the next step? Yeah. And I remember when I first started doing these skills and teaching them. I was a little embarrassed because I thought they're so simple. They're so simple that, you know, in, in our world, in our therapy world, everything is complex. And some of the ideas take me years to try to figure out what they mean. And what, you know, it's all in the head. But, so how do I break it down into small bits? The same thing happened when I wrote my attachment book. I've been studying with attachment theory with Emma Brown, who totally changed my experience and my understanding of what happens with trauma. But it was all like I got the literature, I understood the theory. I it was all like I know how to theoretically do it. Like I was still not changed inside. So how do I change it in my body and make it again so small and specific that I can change my orientation, my internal working model, which Bolby talked about. Yeah. So that it's so the BSC skills were these very basic skills. You know, first I started I started like a twelve week group, and then people wanted more, so I did sixteen weeks, and then twenty four weeks, and then they wanted another year, and so and then Janina Fisher, my friend and colleague, was sending her clients there because they wanted to get better. She kept seeing her clients get better faster. So what are you doing? So she came and she. Uh, actually co-led the groups with me as a way to learn. And so we did multiple layers every year, these groups. And that's really where I was like, kept innovating and saying, well, how do we do it? How does it make it so possible for people? And 
then the, the book is really just a, what are the essential, what did, what did help most of all those years, broken down into small bits, so that then people can do whatever else they want to do with it. That's wonderful. Just like you say, that using your own experience and coming back to, you used the term granular earlier when we were talking. Um, I love that. Like, how do we make this really granular so you can just take one small piece and move with that so people aren't getting overwhelmed? And I think, you know, when we think about a lot of helping professionals also have trauma in their history. And when we're working with clients, things get triggered to differing degrees. And one of the things I always try and encourage with people I'm supervising is to be really aware of that stuff that's showing up for yourself and how we can take care of that in the moment. So not so we push it aside and ignore it, but so we can hold it gently and then tend to ourselves after. So I'm just wondering in terms of some of the sort of BSE skills, um, what would be some things perhaps people could do when they're in session and they notice that they're getting triggered by a client's story or something that's happened in session. So oh, great. And I love what you said about how do we hold it separately and so that we can tend to it later. And um, on one of the consultations, I have a group that's getting certified in the BSC skills right now. And we were meeting yesterday and you know, we started talking about it. It's not like there's an end goal, but it's the process. So if you're getting triggered, if I'm getting triggered, it's like, okay, so let me just pause, even though somebody else is talking with it, can I pause? See what just happened in me? And what were the thoughts I was having? What, you know, because it really deconstructing the trigger. It's, it's, you have to take that knot and like pull it apart. Or the thoughts, what are the feelings, what are the body sensations? So those are the basic building blocks of everything. And out of that comes movement and the next thing and the next thing. So get to that baseline. I slow my body down and I separate out what we do in the BSC skills and in all practices. And what are the facts going on right here? We are so poorly as human beings. Like the fact is, you and I are talking. I'm here, you're there, we're talking, and that's it. But we embellish and we layer on associations and interpretations. Then by the time we're done, it's like, we're freaked out. Yeah. So how do I get back? So with a client, if a client's there and they're talking and I'm triggered, I can say I'm triggered, I'm triggered. Or I can say, you're talking, sitting, 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 sitting. I'm lit. I don't even have to be listening. I don't have to take in. Just sitting here. How do we get to the most? We talk about this in meditation. How do we get to the most bare piece of it? And then our body system. And then we can choose what we want to do. You know, we land. We look at it from a parts perspective. All those parts separate. Then I can have more access to my compassion self or self energy in the internal family system. All of it. All the same thing. How do I just back up as an access my heart, my soul, whatever it is, and then choose? So that's that. That's so much of what I believe in is how do I be here so that I can choose? Absolutely, it's that slowing down, isn't it? Slow it down. Be present. And then make a choice. Who I want to be. Yeah. I think acknowledging as well that it's going to happen. We're going to get triggered in sessions with clients. And the more we can accept that for ourselves and learn ways to be with that, then it's not going to be interfering in session. You know, I think if if people get a bit caught in like, oh, no, I can't let my own, my own stuff won't come into my therapy session. It's not about me. It's about my client. It's like, well, it probably will because you're a human. But there's things and you can do. And we want it to come in in some way. Yeah. I, I you know I try to be so clean and tidy as a therapist that nothing ever happened. But the fact is wounds of our relationship and the patterns of our relationship Queen us are going to come up. 
you as my client are going to activate me and I'm going to activate you. But how do we treat that as a good thing? Yeah. Again, yeah. it's another way to grow, develop, and flourish. And if we look at it from an attachment perspective, that's what we want. Is we want not not that we want to activate each other, but how do we be in it so that we engage in the conflict enough that we repair it yeah. and transform it, so that that we learn and gain trust in that relationships actually get better. You know, fall. Beautiful. I also want to add to that, you know, because I've also had experiences where we've needed to say no and that I don't want to engage in this way. Mm -hmm. It's another case of self-care. Like I've had clients who felt like they could come in and just be dump all their stuff on me violently or loudly or say whatever they want because they think, well, I'm supposed to be a blank wall. And I'm like, no, that's not therapy. Yeah. That's not going to help you. You need to know that when you're being this way, this is what happens in me. I'm not going to put up with that. It's that meeting them. So it's not, I really don't believe in the blank slate model of therapy. No. We have to be able to speak up for ourselves. That's self care. Yeah. It just doesn't work. And understanding, you know, we're, we're two humans co-creating a relationship, aren't we? Like you say, there's things going to come up and it's how we manage that so that it is a, a place for growth and transformation. How right. do we see that as, as a good thing? Right. Yeah. Thank God, right? Yeah. Humans in the room. What's that? Humans in the room. Yeah. So if you if you had a piece of advice to share with our listeners, what might that be? Apart from slow down. <laughs> well, it's one of the things I learned from the geranium in my office. And I would sit there by um, a master gardener, Amy Murphy, gave me this geranium. And it would, I had it in my office, beautiful smell and fragrance and leaves. And I would turn it around every morning so it would face me. But by the end of the day, I turned back toward the window one day, talking to somebody. I thought, oh my God, that's all about. It's about is how do I? I turn toward what's nourishing instead of staying in my gunk. And every moment we can do that. You know, every moment we can say, okay, I'm upset about this. I, I call it the attachment language. I'm protesting against this. But okay, but what do I want? You know, like with the surgeon, I can protest that he's just going to throw away my bone. I could be like, okay, so that's reality that I'm living in. Who do I want to be? How do I want to be? How can I turn this into a more nourishing experience? Do that over and over and over again. And I find that a better way to live. Absolutely. Marvelous what nature can teach us. So lovely. So it's really that that acceptance of our reality or our experience as it is, not as our minds want it to be. Yeah. And connecting with values. Who do I want to be? How do I want to be as I'm walking this earth? And how can I care for myself in that process? How can I turn towards the things that nourish me? That's beautiful. Surround ourselves with people that nourish us. Yeah. Yeah. You, you talked earlier about, you know, the different environments um, and the importance of place. And I guess not all of us can, well, I did. I moved from England to Australia. So, <laughs> but not everybody can sort of say, well, I'm just going to leave the country and go live in the south of France, although it would be rather wonderful. And I think my husband would not object either. Um, but I think we can really look closer to home and say, well, 
what if I'm in a work environment that's quite toxic for me? Is there a way I can move out of that? Or even going back, like, like you're saying about the granular, how is my chair in the office? Right. Am I leaving with a bad back because I'm sitting in a chair that's not suitable? Or, you know, is there a way of letting in some more ventilation or light? Or do I have anything around me in my space at work that when I look at it, I feel soothed or I feel joy or something. So I think that's a really important point about environment. And it and it can be the larger, okay, maybe I need to move completely and have a sea change or a tree change. And maybe it's about I'm going to take that thing that when I look at it, it gives me joy and I'm going to put it on my desk. Yeah. Right. I, I love that you're bringing that up and making it that granular. Is that it is what it it really is. Is how do we? I was thinking about that in terms of like how we change our internal model, how we change our attachment representation inside, and it has to be that granular. Mm. People often say, "Is well, I can't imagine something else," yeah. you know, or they can't even imagine compassionate, my own compassionate self, whatever it might be. Yet, if we haven't taken the small ways of like, well, what is that like? What would that feel like? And when you smile at me, what happens inside my body? Do I feel good? Do I feel bad? You know, the three flows of compassion. What's it like if you're flowing compassion to me and I'm resisting? Okay, so what can I be like? Just take one percentage more of that compassion. And would that look like, feel like, smell like, taste like? inside of me and outside of me and I start training myself in those small ways beautiful example of you gave up a chair what is it like for me to just be like okay I don't have to be in pain all the time what would that be like what would it be like find something outside the window that I like to look at what's it like to just smell something different you know it's like how small can we make it and then how much can I let my body, bring my body to receive that? Yeah. And I think that's what's so key is not just get it in my head, but say, okay, this is the experience I want more of. I did this a lot with, I want more ease. I'm saying, I, you know, I was going from this strong drive mentality. I thought, even know, what is it like? What's ease like in my body? And I was like, I'm just trying to know. You know, what would it be like to let my body I've done so much meditation and yoga, but I was like, was it always from a drive getting somewhere place or like to and um and train myself? This is the experience I want more of yeah. instead of that. Yeah. It's an ongoing practice, isn't it? It's an everyday, every moment. And that's not to say, you know, we have to constantly be thinking about the practice all the time, but it is an ongoing practice that we can to ourselves it's that healing is an olympian endeavor you know i read about these olympians who are just working they're single-minded about their experience and people who change whether we're conscious or not we are single-minded we know this is us so if i want self-care i want to heal in some way what do i need to do you know protest arises in me how do I meet it with compassion or kindness or um, whatever might be more nourishing in the smallest way talking about meeting if you could meet yourself 20 years from now I ask this to everybody what do you think your future self would say to you well that is um Probably part of what propelled me is I want to have um, contributed. I want to have contributed to the betterment of the world we live in in some small way. I don't even really always know what that would be, but some way of like you can be your best self. You can be, I want to have contributed in that. That's what, that's what keeps me from retiring. It's like, I. I want to participate in the world and make it a better place. 
Oh, I think you absolutely do that, Deirdre. Absolutely. I don't think you need to wait 20 years to hear that. <laughs> well, then there's the next piece. You know, how do I just... Right. That's where we're, we're joined together, Haley. That's, I love that, that you're doing this, that we're doing this, that there's so many people who are... I feel like there's a consciousness rising where people are part of a tribe of people that want to live in a better world and create a better world amidst all the complications of it. An absolute pleasure to be in this world with you. I have very fond memories. And with you, time. my sweet thing. Yeah. So if people want to find out more about you or get in touch, where can they find you and engage with your work? Well, one of the ways is just on my website, which is efay.com. We also have a PDF um, that's free uh, called the Safe Guide. So it's defay.com forward slash safe guide. If you want to find out more about your relationship profile, we also have defay.com forward slash profile. It's based on attachment theory and it goes, we're looking at what might your relationship profile being and what are ways to change that oh, done so much work on attachment uh, and i'll put these um these links as well into the show notes on the on my website with the episode and i'm sure people will gain so much from this you've got so much to offer you've done so much amazing work and it's been an absolute Daily, pleasure. we're in the soup together. We certainly are. And it's an absolute pleasure. And I'm so glad that you joined me on the podcast. Thank you for doing what you do. We need you. You take care and I will speak to you soon. Thank you, my dear. Thank you for sharing this time with me today. I hope your time here was helpful and supportive. If there has been something in this episode that you have found helpful, I invite you to share it with another person you think might benefit. I'd also love it if you'd like to leave a review wherever you tune in. Reviews really help to increase awareness of podcasts, meaning I can spread helpful information more widely. All reviews are welcome and much appreciated, as I know they take time out of your day. If you'd like to be notified when the next episode airs, please use the link in the show notes to join my mailing list. Music and editing by Nissa Ray. Thanks, Nissa. I wish you all well in your relationship with yourself and may you go well and go gently. Bye.